Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear Jet, 15 is a tough age. Keep your head up. Things might be pretty hard right now, but you will make it. Let yourself love and be loved. You won't believe me now, but this will all make you stronger. Keep the faith and never, never, never quit. 30-year-old you. Today on the podcast, I interviewed one of our longtime friends, Jet Hudson. He is one of my husband, Nate's best friends, and they went to high school together. They played lacrosse together and football, and he was at our wedding, and back when we had our first child, they had a daughter that was four months older, so we kind of started having this arranged marriage in the works. We'll see if it still works out in the next 20 years or whatever. Jet is incredible. He is actually just finishing his chiropractic school and he's about to be a chiropractor in the next few months. He saved his mom's life when he was three years old by calling 911. His mom ended up dying when he was 10 and he shares the experience of what the grieving process was like for him. And his dad got remarried a year later and He was now the oldest of eight kids and all the things that he went through, his family had to navigate mental health and substance abuse and all sorts of challenging things. And the thing that I love most about Jet is how kind he is to the people around him and how grateful he is for the things people have done for him. He shares about the good influences in the people who stepped in and were a mother and looked out for him when he didn't have that support at home. Jet's an incredible person and I hope you enjoy his story. Thanks so much, Jet, for being on the podcast. It's fun to chat with you. It's been a while since we've lived in the same place. <laughs> yeah, it has been a long time since we lived in the same place, but <laughs> this is this is fun. I'm happy to be here. Really excited. When we first had Hayden and you had Grace, I feel like we kind of navigated our steps of parenthood together and thought it was challenging back then, but I didn't know what ride we had ahead of us. I know, right? And you like try to do everything right and then you realize, oh, nothing works and there's no right answers. You just throw everything out the window, especially once you add one more <laughs> or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Uh, But it's fun. A learning experience. Learn more every day. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your family growing up? My family growing up was crazy. There were a lot of us in the house, and things were always in chaos. So I'm the oldest of eight kids. It's a mixed family, kind of a hers or yours, mine and ours kind of a deal. So my mom... And dad, my birth mom, and my dad, they had six boys. The two right after me were twins, and they actually passed away when they were just a few days and a few weeks old. So they had three more boys after that. So we had four boys, and then my stepmom had twins, boy-girl twins that were the same age as my 
brother just younger than I am. So basically triplets and they got together. And then uh, she had a baby girl who was about one. And then they had my little baby sister, the youngest together. So that brought us to eight. And like I said, it was wild. Always chaos. Never a dull moment at home. That's for sure. I mean, obviously my family growing up wasn't quite like that, but you know, we had two sets of twins, so we never had a dull moment. I remember going to college and getting ready in the morning and feeling like it was weird that there was silence. (laughs) This is weird. Don't we need to turn some music on or something? Because I feel (laughs) really weird that it's so quiet in here. (laughs) I know. It's like, are you sure you don't need the bathroom right now? Or do you want to come in here while I'm in here? Because like, that's okay. (laughs) I feel like it was, yeah, it was really weird. So there's always, yeah, I think we had like three or four kids in one room at one point. We uh, lived in Salt Lake, just like in the Canyon Rim area, Mill Creek. And it was like a 1,600 square foot house, maybe 1,800 square feet. All I know is it was way too small. We had like turned one of the, like a den into a bedroom. And there was like three kids in that room and then three kids in one room downstairs. And then I shared a room with my brother, James, my stepbrother, and then my parents had a had their bedroom and I think we had like a kitchen that you couldn't have the dishwasher and the oven open at the same time or the fridge <laughs> because they're so close to each other <laughs> so it was uh it was packed so it, it was interesting so I can relate to the the weirdness of getting out and not being with everybody all the time was yeah it was weird Tell us about your mom. What are some, I know that she died when you were young, but tell Mm -hmm. us what memories do you have of her? I actually probably have more memories than any of my siblings because they were so young. I was 10 when she passed away. And really what I remember most about her is just that she was so caring. She was very loving and giving and and she was really funny. She just had a a really funny, fun-loving personality. She's seriously goofy. <laughs> More than anything, she loved her, her babies, her baby boys, for sure. I know that she really wanted a girl, but she really was happy with her boys, and she loved them a lot. She loved kids. I remember that she made up a song for each of us. Uh, either like stole the melody and made her own lyrics or made one up. I don't really know, but she would sing those to us pretty much every night before we went to bed. She would always do that. And she just really liked helping people. I remember even, even when I was little that she would always volunteer or help organize like the sub for Santa and do like toy drives and all that stuff. And I remember that because we'd always have the toys at our house. And I remember being like, holy cow, this is amazing. I want this action figure. This is so cool. Where did we get all of this? And she's like, no, that's not for you. <laughs> I know they're cool, but we're giving those to other kids that don't have anything. And she would always, she even at a super young age, taught me to understand what that meant and helped encourage me to actually donate my own toys, um, some of the toys that I had and kind of that giving spirit. I remember she always, always had that. Um, but she loved Utah. She loved the Utah Jazz and she loved BYU. So she's probably not super excited that I'm such a big Utah Utes fan. Hey, nobody's perfect. But she <laughs> loved she she loved Steve Young especially. Well, at least you're met, a jazz fan, right? I am a jazz fan. Yes. Okay. Go jazz. 
take note. Love them. <laughs> Absolutely. And she, uh, she, she loves Steve Young so much. And he was playing for the 49ers at this point. And we went to, my mom's from Utah County, went to Orm High School. And we went to the Provo, I, don't know, I think it was the 4th of July parade. And we were sitting like in the neighborhood where Steve Young had lived or something or one of his relatives. And it was rumored he might like be there or something. And anyway, he ended up being there and came out. She met him and I just remember seeing how excited she was. And he actually gave her a huge hug and signed her hat for her. And they talked for a minute and, and he signed one of my football cards that I had of him. And that was super awesome. But I know that she loved him so much that there was one time, <laughs> I think I was nine and uh, she was just talking to me one night. She, was, she really wanted to connect with her kids and be approachable. And she was just talking to me one night, just being her goofy mom self doing whatever. And I think she was teasing me about girls or something. I don't even remember for sure, but I remember having a poster of Steve Young on my wall and she was being funny and was talking to Steve Young and ended up taking my poster off the wall and was dancing with Steve Young in my room. During, during this whole thing. <laughs> so she was super fun that way. She always loved and supported me, even though when I was little, uh, I loved Michael Jordan. I still think he's the greatest of all time. So love him. Uh, great basketball player. And I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. So consequently, I loved the Bulls at the time when I was little. We moved to Chicago from Utah. I think it was like 96, 97, which the 96, 97 era, that's the Utah Jazz, Chicago Bulls. It's a big deal. And my mom loving the jazz so much. I don't know. I think it was, I also was teased for being from Utah when I was in school. And so I, I think I pretty much just did the opposite and was like, man, you guys are mean. I'm not going to be a Bulls fan anymore. I have to be a jazz fan. Of course, my mom loved that. So she basically converted me hard to a jazz fan and took me to somewhere I don't remember if it was like an actual barbershop or just a haircut salon and during the playoffs with the Jazz and the Bulls that year she actually got she convinced me that it was a good idea to have a go Jazz shade (laughs) in my head (laughs) Uh, so yeah I had that through the whole playoffs and unfortunately it didn't work out for the Jazz it was still fun and that's that's just kind of the person she was she was super super outgoing and loving and just wanted to have fun. And she was, she was awesome. And it was sad wow. that she couldn't always be that way. Cause she was sick a lot. She had a lot of health problems, but the memories that I have of her when she was were, were awesome. Well, she sounds like a really incredible person. I haven't really heard you talk about her and it's fun to picture her and think of what a gift she gave you of, love and teaching you how to have fun and caring for you. The one thing that I had heard about though, was the story of when you were little and you had to call 911. Can you share that story? (laughs) Yeah. So like I, like I kind of said, she did have a lot of health issues and this was right after my little brother, Ryan, the one just younger than me was born. She had had health issues in the past and was going through some stuff. And I don't know what compelled her to do this, but she, I was three years old and she had taught me on like a toy phone 
how to call 911 if in case there was an emergency or something at home that I could grab the phone and dial 911 and that was how I got help if I needed it. And I remember it was like this little yellow plastic phone. It didn't even have real buttons because we didn't have that technology yet. You know, it was just a plaque, uh, plastic molded phone. <laughs> and that's what I remember she taught me on to call 911. And there was a morning where my dad had gone to work. He'd left and it wasn't that long after he'd gone, I don't think, because it was still early. I'd woken up and walked into her room because my brother was crying. And so she went and grabbed him. And on her way back to to feed him in our in her room, dude, she was in her room, and I was standing there in the doorway, and she just collapsed, just went down. And I remember vaguely that I tried to wake her up and just kind of nudged her, just saying like, "Mommy, mommy," but didn't get any response. And so I walked, kind of stepped around her, and picked up the cordless phone, and uh, dialed nine one one like she had taught me on the plastic phone got into dispatch and said the only thing I guess I really knew how to say as a three-year-old to explain what was going on and it was uh, my mommy's sick and they were trying to talk to my mom kept asking me for it, and I said no my mommy's sick and I I remember hearing the recording and I kind of sounded like I was getting frustrated like hey dummy do you not understand what I'm saying I called 911 I'm trying to get yeah. help my mommy's sick and so Thankfully, they, me not getting off the phone and not being willing to give the phone to my mom or anyone else because nobody else was there, they actually sent an officer, dispatched an officer to the house. And uh, thankfully, the door had been left unlocked because I couldn't get the door open. And he, he was trying to open the door and could hear me fidgeting with it. So he tried to come in and he did, got in there. And then I just let him up the stairs in our little townhome in Orem at the time, right up to the bedroom. And that's I basically just walked in and stepped aside and he walked in and was just said, Oh, uh, okay. And just grabbed his, uh, <laughs> his walkie talkie, his, uh, his monitor there and just phoned it in right there and said, uh, this is a real situation. We got to get somebody over here. And that's when they dispatched the uh, EMTs and the ambulance and they came and they took her and, uh, revived her, took her to the hospital and, uh, got her all all fixed up I guess she had had some allergic reaction or something to some of the medication that she had been on postpartum or something right after she had had my brother and that caused uh, some kind of reaction where she basically just stopped breathing so she actually was not breathing at all when they wow. got there so yeah that it was crazy so that happened I was three years old and just didn't really think much of it but um, ended up going to an award ceremony and met Mark Eaton, who was a, a big, big jazz man. He was like, I remember thinking he was on stilts because I was so little and he was like seven foot two. <laughs> Just you like come up to his knee? <laughs> yeah, it may be, maybe his knee, but met him and uh, I got, I got an uh, American Red Cross Lifesaver Award uh, for that. That's but so it was, cool. um, yeah, so it was kind of, kind of weird. I actually kind of forget, forget about that sometimes, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a cool experience. It was really cool that she had the foresight to do that and prepare. And, I, and I, again, that's just kind of how she was. She thought she was very forward thinking. I thought ahead and wanted to make sure that we were taken care of, even if something bad happened, that we had a way to, to take care of ourselves and, and be okay. Well, it's pretty amazing to think about a three-year-old 
being able to think clearly and and think back like, oh, well, what did mom say when there's an emergency, you know, and not just think like, oh, I guess my mom's sleeping or something like that. I think that's a pretty amazing story that you were able to save your mom's life. It also is a testament to the fact that little people, they can understand more than you think, and they're capable of doing pretty amazing things. I don't know if you saw that thing. There's like a good news movement and there was a little boy. I think he was like four or something and his sister was about to get bitten by a dog and he he ran in front of the dog and the dog attacked the little boy and it kind of just like cut up his face. He had to get a ton of stitches. He's in love with Captain America and then they like recognized him and said like, you're a true hero. I thought it was really sweet. Little kids really can do amazing things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was so awesome that he stepped in front of that dog to protect his sister. And I think I read there too, like, even after he was mauled by that dog, like the dog stopped and ran off or whatever, he still like had the thought to grab his sister's hand and then run off the safety, even though his, you know, his face was all chewed up. And yeah, it was pretty awesome. I I love hearing stuff like that. It's so good to hear that good news stuff because you just hear so much bad. <laughs> but yeah, I know, right? A great example. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that experience. Yeah. So, so what were you like during these elementary years? What was your personality like when you were young? I was really insecure and really wanted to fit in. I was always told that I was a handsome kid and a cute kid, and girls always liked me, but I didn't always fit in with the guys for some reason. The only way I ever fit in with anybody is when I proved my worth in sports. <laughs> and so sports was huge for me. So I was always playing sports. Uh, but even then, I, I was super insecure as a, as a kid in elementary school, especially. And I actually was bullied quite a bit. And uh, yeah, kind of it's kind of sucky. But, uh, but I always had sports. And I always had at least like one really good friend. And that that was yeah. kind of what kept me kept me going when I was little. But yeah, I always was playing sports. You couldn't get me to come inside. I was always shooting baskets. I was always running around doing something active, always. Well, so if you could go back in time to talk to that insecure little elementary age jet that got picked on and give yourself advice, what do you think you'd say? It's <laughs> a good question. I think I would just tell myself to to hang in there and I would build, I try to build myself up and just tell myself that things were okay. It's not because you're not worth anything. It's just kids are kind of dumb and kids are kind of mean. Uh, you're different than them and that's okay to just keep on being you. And again, let yourself love other people, be loving, try and try and reach out to them because you don't know what they're going through. And that's kind of what kind of shaped my life is just, you just don't know what people are going through. And I think that's yeah. more than anything. What I would tell, tell myself is, yeah, you know, things are kind of hard and it's not awesome that they're being mean to you, but you don't know what they're going through at home right? or, or what they're, what they've got to deal with. And maybe that that's why. And I think I, yeah. that might've helped me a little bit to feel a little bit better. I think. Yeah, definitely. You you never really know what the backstory is. And it's interesting, you know, knowing you as an adult, I wouldn't look at you and think, oh, that looks like a guy that got picked on as a kid. So you never uh -huh. really know 
what people have been through, but I do think, I remember having a few people that picked on me in elementary school. I wouldn't say it was anything really bad, but it was upsetting to me. I had like one kid that specifically picked on me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I remember learning when I was older that his parents were both in jail. He lived with his grandparents. I think he was just really insecure and having a really hard time. And, and so I think it's hard because you don't know what the bully's going through and you don't know what the kid that's being bullied is going through either. And I think elementary school is a little bit of a rough age for the, the teasing. And I don't know, they're trying to figure out who they are and trying to fit in. Yeah. And I think they're just still, they're just learning so much and they have so many questions and yeah, it's, it's been really interesting trying to, uh, to parent Grace, who, who is, you know, she was in kindergarten, she's going into first grade this year and uh, answering questions and, and having to deal with a little bit of, Hey, you know, so-and-so has said this to me or told me this and said that they're not going to be my friend and said that I was dumb and, all that and it just breaks your heart to hear that someone would say that to anyone but especially your 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 own your own kid my little girl so it's kind of like looking at looking at myself and just like what how could anyone say that and just remembering some of that when I was little just being picked on and spit on and you know it hurts it's tough but I don't know it's 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 tough elementary school is rough elementary junior high school in general pretty much (laughs) (laughs) there's a few growing pains along the way right definitely yeah there are that's okay I think it's supposed to be supposed to hurt a little bit I guess right (laughs) yeah so tell us what was it like losing your mom so you said you were 11 when she passed away or was it 10 10 yeah I was uh it was 2000 so August 8th 2000 so I was 10 turning 11 a few months later it's really hard it was it's like it's honestly still kind of surreal like did it really happen or like when like it all kind of feels like a dream even now and it's been you know coming up on 20 years and uh I just remember the day that that it happened she was getting picked up for a doctor's appointment my grandparents had come to pick her up to take her to the doctor and uh we hadn't heard from her for a while, but she was in bed and slept a lot. And I had gone up and checked on her once that day and brought some packages in from the mail that day for her and put them in her room. But they came to pick her up and that's when uh, they went up there and I kind of went up there with them. And that's when we found her that she was just, she'd, she'd gone, she'd passed away. And uh, it was just weird. I just couldn't believe it. It was really honestly shock. I probably didn't cry for a long time because it just didn't really seem real. And I didn't even know how to react to it. I don't know, it was really weird. I got sent to a neighbor's house like after, which now looking at it is really weird to me that they would take me away. They took me and my three brothers and sent us to a neighbor's house. Like that would be easier or better for us to be with people we knew kind of. I don't know why they did that, but I remember sitting there in their living room and just kind of being in shock and like some of the kids being like, what's, what's wrong with him? Like, what's going on? And the mom trying to be like, just, just leave him alone. It's fine. Like his mom just passed away or whatever they had said to him. And I'm just kind of sitting there, like kind of hearing it, but almost like in the movies when everything's muffled and they focus in on one character and you can only mm-hmm. kind of hear what's going on. That's kind of what it felt like to me when it happened. 
And then at some point during that day, we went back home. I just had to get out. So I, I just asked to go jump on the trampoline with my friends. And my dad just kind of looked at me and said, uh, sure, go ahead. So basically from that point on, I just tried to act like everything was normal and just, I guess, move on. I don't know. I guess I kind of just shoved it down and deep down inside or felt like I had to be strong for them or I was already doing a lot at home to take care of things, um, helping with cooking and cleaning and doing laundry and dishes and stuff like that. And I don't know if I just felt like I needed to to keep that up, especially now with her being gone or or what. But the next morning I woke up and I got my brothers ready for swimming lessons and I got ready and I sat on the stairs and waited for my dad to come down and he came down and I said, okay, we're ready for swimming lessons. And he said, you want to do that? And I said, I just don't know what else we're supposed to do. And that's what we did. We went to swimming lessons and kind of, I kind of just involved myself in other stuff and other people and doing other things. Tried to just keep going, I guess. I don't know. I just couldn't think about it for a long time. It was really hard. You said she was sick for a long time. What ended up, what did she die from? And that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with now, especially, especially now that I'm you know, getting my doctorate and I'm studying science and chiropractic and all this stuff, it's just still blows my mind because there's no official diagnosis for what she had and there's no official cause of death other than uh, starvation, which sounds insane to say that, that, that somebody in our country who had access to great medical care and food died of starvation but uh, basically her she had some heart problems and uh, my brothers actually died from a heart problem Christopher and Kyler the twins right after me died from uh, mitochondrial myopathy and I don't know if my mom had some of that as well she definitely had some heart stuff going on they were talking about a possible transplant but her body just kind of shut down I feel like her body just had had enough she was on a feeding tube uh, at the time like right around when she passed away and uh, she was still on it when she passed away because she couldn't keep food down and her, and her body just wasn't metabolizing anything, wasn't absorbing any of the nutrients, wasn't really getting any benefit from food, even through a tube going directly into her digestive system. So that was what they said the cause of death was, if I remember that right. But we kind of don't really know. It, it was kind of a mystery. And that's kind of hard for me to come to terms with and, and understand from that, from yeah. that science. Like, I just don't get, I just don't get that. So basically her body just shut down. Just Yeah. I know that that happens a lot when people are older. And I know with my grandma, when she was dying, their body starts shutting down and they reject food. And a lot of time that's what ends up being the end is they kind of stop eating. But I think there's obviously other things that contribute to that. They're not just choosing not to eat. Exactly. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely something going on physiologically inside the body. Something, something's off. But and it, it, I guess it was just super weird that she had something like that when she when she died. She was only 32, which is wow. I don't think that's very old. I, I'm 30, so it better not be that old. You know, 32 is pretty young. Yeah, that's, that's my birthday's young. like in a couple weeks, and I'll be 32. <laughs> that's right. So that's right. It's that's definitely right. not old. <laughs> definitely not. You're you're <laughs> very young. Yeah. So and and that was just kind of the weird thing. So 
she was kind of there yeah. and kind of gone the next second. It was just kind of weird. I don't know. Well, and I'm sure that was difficult as a child to really understand the fact that your mom's gone, but that there was no way to really explain what happened to her and why she's gone. And now your life is flipped upside down and you have to deal with this. I imagine with your dad, he's also grieving and trying to deal with it on his own. And so it's probably hard as a parent to figure out how to help your kids grieve too. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think that he had a hard time because I feel like at the time, and I mean, maybe even still all these years later, I think he had a really hard time with the death of my brothers. Losing those two little boys, I think really was hard on him and changed him. Um, he started having a lot of problems himself just after that happened, I think, with employment and financially, just like paying bills and staying on top of things, um, which made it hard just on everyone else. And uh, I just don't know that he knew how to cope with it at all. And I didn't see him cry for years about about any of it. Yeah, it was definitely hard for him to to grieve and to help us grieve for sure. So you kind of said that you didn't cry for a long time. When do you feel like it finally hit you that your mom had died and that you started crying or really kind of mourned her loss? Sure. I mean, I think it was months after that, all of a sudden one time it was just like, she's gone. Like she's really gone and not coming back. And uh, I think I cried then, but it's, it's actually hit me at several different times in my life where I've just kind of realized I'm kind of on my own. <laughs> She's not around for that. Graduating high school, my last football game, my you know state championship lacrosse game, stuff like that where you would normally see your mom or, or take a picture with your mom. That, that hit me, but it hit me the hardest, I think, on my wedding day, honestly. Not having her there is when it really hit me that she wasn't going to be there that, you know, physically, I do, I do think she was there spiritually. I do, I do believe in that, but that she just wasn't there. And then again, with the birth of each one of my kids, but especially that first one, that first little baby girl, that she just wasn't there for the first, the first one or any after, Yeah. you know, just, and just stuff throughout your life. <laughs> it's just weird. I, I think grief and death is just a weird thing. i I know that we try to understand it and psychologically we, we put it into this box and we try to say that there's these five steps of grief and pattern it and try to narrow down the behavior and what people go through. But I think it's just very unpredictable and I think it's ever-changing. Trauma is real and, and grief is a, a very complicated process. And for me, it's just kind of hit me at different times in my life. And it's, kind of just comes on without warning there are some days that it's just harder and every year august 8th is the day that she passed away i remember that it was that day but some years it's just like another day and i'll not really think about it until the end of the day and be like oh yeah today's that day and other days like last year for some reason was way hard for me and i just struggled the whole day and cried several times just thinking about it and uh i don't know it's it's, it's really weird Grief doesn't have a timeline, I guess, and there's no uh, no instructions for it, no uh, no well-patterned behavior. But those are the times I think I, I miss her the most is when there's big things like that or holidays sometimes. 
when you spend time with, with her or the family. Yeah, I can't imagine that because there's so many times where you just need a mom, right? You just need somebody to talk to that'll love you unconditionally and just be there for you. And that's such a hard thing that you had to go through at such a young age. Yeah, and I guess it's hard for me to understand that sometimes too because when she was there and she was healthy, you know, those few very, those very few times, yeah, I definitely feel like she was there. But a lot of it really I just didn't have didn't have her there in that capacity all the time. She couldn't come yeah. to stuff sometimes, things like that. And so I kind of grew up without a mom in a lot of ways, even though she was there for a short time. And then afterwards, obviously, yeah, she she wasn't there at all. And that's when you noticed it more is I couldn't go talk to her about this or she didn't ask me this question or she didn't teach me this or she didn't even get the chance to teach me, you know, yeah. these things. She didn't get to talk to me about you know, high school and what that was like and how awesome and how terrible it is at the same time and <laughs> all of those yeah. things. I have another question about the grieving process for you. Do you think sure. being a boy at the time, do you think that you internalized anything with the fact that being a boy, you have to be a little more tough and that you're not supposed to cry? Or do you think that had anything to do with your grieving process and waiting and kind of pushing it away? Maybe a little bit. I I don't know it was that so much as it was the fact that I was the oldest and had to burden the responsibility or felt like I needed to burden the responsibility of, of my brothers. I think that was more it than anything else. And then also just having been picked on and bullied and stuff, maybe felt like I couldn't show emotion. Um, and I shouldn't because I was dumb and like if I cried at school, like that would just give them more reason to pick on me or to say say stuff to me when I was, you know, in elementary school. And so yeah. I kind of just kind of just didn't didn't deal with it, kind of just pushed it away and I tried to act like everything was as normal as possible. Like I was just a normal kid and, you know, which... I was a normal kid, but yeah, it's a, kind of a big deal to go through <laughs> and uh, yeah. kind of just push away. So it might've been a little bit of that, like that I was a boy and needed to be tough, but more than that, I feel like it was kind of the environment that I was in that kind yeah. of dictated what I feel like maybe. Yeah. The reason I asked that is because I was having a conversation with my son Hayden the other night and he, we were talking about feelings and I was trying to get him to tell me how he felt and he just said, I'm kind of embarrassed talking about my feelings. And he's five years old, about to turn six. And I'm like, why do you feel embarrassed? Like, what have you been yeah. taught so far to feel like it's embarrassing for you to talk about your feelings? And maybe that's just a natural reaction. But I'm, I was thinking, you know, we need to create an environment that it's okay to have feelings, even if they're negative yeah. or different things like that. Those things are okay to feel. It's okay to be angry that your mom is gone. It's okay to be sad. It's okay. It's okay to feel all these different feelings that might be negative or, or whatever. And, and also down the road that it's not okay. You have a year. And then after that, you need to kind of pick up the pieces and yeah. go on but that you know it's okay 20 years later mm-hmm. to still feel that way and so I don't know I wonder sometimes like how our society kind of conditions 
even just young boys, they kind of say with little girls, if they cry, it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, parents are more like to say like, yeah. it's okay, you can cry. And with the boys are yeah. like, you're tough, suck it up, you know, and yeah. so that they kind of get these messages sure. from a young age that it, that they, that those feelings are not okay, because it's yeah, uncomfortable. Sure. Definitely, you know, there's that thing out there like, hey, just man up, like, be a man about it. Those kinds of things. You hear that all the time, right? And, yeah, that stigma definitely still exists, I think. But I do think it's important, like you said, that we let people know that it's it's okay. Uh, and it's okay not to be okay all the time. You know, we, we need to go through this. And mental health is a real thing. And it's, it's especially in, in little kids when they're going through stuff like that. That's a that's an important time in their life where they're forming constructs of reality and, and who they're going to be and what their relationships with everything and everyone what they'll be like uh, i will say that my dad and maybe even more my stepmom this is like one of the one of the good things that <laughs> came from that we did go to a group therapy it's a non-profit in salt lake city it's called the sharing place and it was actually set up for kids so a place where kids who have lost somebody can grieve and it's a great organization they had volunteers that were there to help with kids and Everybody that worked there, everybody that was there had lost somebody that was close to them, had lost somebody that they loved and just gave an environment where kids could be around other people and, and also feel like it was okay to be yourself. And if you needed to cry or, or be emotional, you could definitely do that. And that did help me, I think, probably more so than my brothers that when they went with me, just because I think they're still a little young and I think it helped them, but for me, that, that actually helped a lot. And that was one of the things when I was younger, probably 11, 12, that was really cool that they did do for me. It introduced me to them, and, and there were some really great mentors there that helped me cope a little bit. They could see through some of my uh, my bull crap and my, my facade <laughs> that I tried to put out there of being you know the tough, responsible guy. And uh, I even now... I use humor a lot to uh, to soften uh, the situation or make light of it to deal with emotions and tough times. And uh, they saw through that and tried to help me cope with that. And and that was really pretty awesome. So there yeah. there are things out there for kids that go through that. And there are definitely resources, but I think it's important that we try to be more understanding as a society and accepting of that and make it okay that you know, we feel, and it's okay to tell people how you feel. We actually just started going to a therapist for Hayden, just to kind of help him deal with some of his anger management issues. And I couldn't more happy and an advocate of therapy. This is great. I don't know why we didn't do this years ago, but <laughs> I feel like it's just, it's so helpful and so nice. And I yeah. think no matter what you're going through, even if it doesn't seem like it has to be a traumatic life experience there are people out there that are trained to help you and you shouldn't be ashamed to have somebody but I think there is a stigma there and, definitely is, yeah. oh well you can't deal with this on your own then you must not be xyz but there are people there to help I think it's very it's very good like I mean I was gonna say therapeutic but I feel like that sounds yeah. like well, it is. <laughs> there's a reason it's therapeutic sure. to go to therapy no figure yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, no, but yeah, but it was it is, great. Yeah, no, it is. It's oh. it's it is great, and uh, I think it's becoming more 
accepted and normalized. I think the stigma is changing a little bit, but we still have a way to go Yeah. when it comes to that. But yeah, therapy, I know I make the joke all the time, just having taken uh, some of my clinical psych stuff and all that being kind of on the healthcare side, going through some of that and just having been through some stuff in my life and watching my siblings who have gone through maybe even more than I have deal with what they're going through. And I just make the joke all the time to people. And I'm just like, yeah, pretty sure we all just need some therapy. I'm pretty sure everybody can benefit from talking to somebody. We're all, we're all messed up. So, you know, (laughs) I think we can, we all can. Bigger little problems. We all can use somebody to to help us out. So you, you talked a little bit about your dad getting remarried. Can you tell us what that was like for you and what it was like living with a a mixed family and what life was like after your mom died? So he got married about a year after she passed away. Um, And it was a surprise. He had been on a couple of dates with this woman uh, that became my my mom, my stepmom. I wasn't super thrilled about it, but she was nice enough. Things were fine and whatever. Then just one day they're like, yeah, we're getting married and uh, just wanted to let you know that you're all going to be brothers and sisters and you're going to have another sister. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great. And then I was like, wait, what? (laughs) It like took me a minute to process. And I was like, wait a minute, you're pregnant? And I was like, but you're not. And I I was like, oh, okay, interesting. (laughs) So this is happening. And uh, you're like, I didn't know that was possible. I was like, I I was like, ah, and I was like, huh, okay. So that happened. And I I was fairly mature and and knew enough, but I was kind of like, oh, okay. So, okay, that's happening. And so we're moving. So we moved from American Fork, Utah, up to Salt Lake into that tiny house that I mentioned before, 16, 1800 square feet, whatever. Uh, and we moved there because she actually owned that house. She had purchased that before, and that's where she was living with her kids. And it was super weird to live with other siblings and then to have somebody that at the beginning was really trying to be a mom and was, like, involved and was trying to do all of these things and had said, you know, you're not going to have to do your own laundry anymore. You're not going to have to do this. Like, I'm here and I want to be here for you. And that was really weird, but it was good for the first little bit. She also had a lot of of health issues and specifically mental health issues um, that were very evident very quickly that she would spend pretty much all day in bed and you wouldn't see her pretty much ever. She just wouldn't emerge and she would go through phases. She definitely had some bipolar stuff going on and depression and she'd go through these waves or cycles you know she'd go up and she'd be super great and she'd be very outgoing and she'd be very thoughtful and do all these nice things and then she would just be gone disappear be really nasty and mean and kind of abusive in a lot of ways when she was around but most of the time she just was gone was just tucked away in her room I mean so that that put a lot on me because dad was gone and I was the oldest to again, kind of step into that role to, to help. And, and now you have a lot of extra kids. (laughs) Exactly. In addition, right? Yeah. Instead of three others, it was now seven others and and two were really little, you know, babies. I did the best I could to, to do that. 
but it was interesting. It, it was kind of rough. There was some, it was really weird because of like all the mental health stuff going on, you know, and I think a lot of that was really hard on her. And so I, I really tried to forgive her for a lot of the things that went on because I know how debilitating that can be and how much that can change you. But there was a lot of stuff that went on as far as uh, emotional abuse, a little bit of physical stuff in the house that made it really hard for me and, and the kids. And also just the the rules that she had. She just had a really weird construct of time and reality where there were these super crazy expectations. And at the same time, a lot of leniency and other, it was just really weird. And so I had a hard time just trying to figure out how to even be but it was was with the kids a lot, got left with them a lot to babysit and to help and to take care of them. And so it was kind of in that caregiver role, big brother mentor role, whatever. But I was still a kid, and so I definitely wasn't perfect and would get in trouble a lot for things because I would try to have fun with the, with my siblings. I, I got in trouble once because I designed a... Uh, <laughs> a fear factor this is when fear factor was back on tv and had created a fear factor game for all of us to play and had got like my siblings to eat this disgusting stuff and wasted some <laughs> food and, and spices and i got in big trouble and kind of didn't really get fed really like any food and for a while and i, I think one time i had to eat cayenne pepper it was just kind of a weird deal they used to do that when you would lie if you told a lie you had to eat cayenne pepper um, oh, I got, cayenne and, pepper is so I can't imagine yeah just a big old spoonful of cayenne pepper I've watched I watched my siblings they they got it a few times but I don't know just just weird stuff and like I got grounded because I missed a spot mowing the lawn one time like just under the swing set and I had to like come home and I wasn't allowed to hang out the rest of the weekend just really weird stuff that looking back now as a parent I'm like that's really that's really backwards. That's really weird. That's really strange. But just her, her mental health and where she was at really dictated a lot of what went on. And it was super weird. It was a weird time. It was a hard time just with, with the kids. But uh, I'm super grateful for my dad marrying her and uh, bringing our family together because I have some of my best friends that I probably ever, ever will have in my siblings. And they're awesome. And I wouldn't have them without without that. So I, I am grateful for that. But it, it was was hard, and I think that it was hard on my siblings too. Um, she was addicted to prescription drugs. She stole my drugs uh, at least on one, maybe two occasions when I had a couple broken bones playing uh, football and basketball, and she thought I was sleeping, and I saw her come in and take some of my pills at least once, maybe twice, where she had done that. And that just kind of perpetuated the problem and kind of made it even harder, I think, too. So there was a lot going on for her, for sure, that made it a very interesting dynamic at home with me and the kids. Wow, it sounds like almost surreal, especially when I look at your life now with your three kids and your wife, Jill, and you guys have such a happy relationship. You love your kids. You take such good care of them. And, Thank you know, you. it's to think of where you had come from. And I think it's very admirable of, you know, you being able to make the sacrifices that you, you have for your kids and not perpetuate 
what had been given to you, you know, because I think it's easy to kind of our default parenting is kind of what has been done to us. But I think that you're amazing for being able to kind of rise above that and offer forgiveness and offer grace to her for her mental health and and not just hate her or be resentful towards her for treating you the way that she did at certain times when she was maybe not in her a right state of mind. Again, it kind of goes back to we just don't know what other people are going through. And yeah, that I'm not saying any of that was okay <laughs> at all. But, you know, it, it's important to understand that there are other things going on beneath the surface and what we see. And not everything is what we see. And everybody has a history. Everybody has problems. And to try and be loving and understanding, be patient with each other. And, and that's really what I learned from those situations and that experience, I think, which is really good for me, but it, it could have gone, it could have easily gone a different way. Definitely. Yeah. So you were in junior high in Salt Lake. And then I know for high school, you moved to Woods Cross. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were like in junior high and kind of what your friends were like, and how changing schools influenced you and the decisions you were making? So living in Salt Lake, I had uh, a big group of friends. They're all guys that I played sports with and knew knew them all really well. And they were super cool guys. They were the popular kids that I'd fallen into through sports and hung out with. And only a, a subgroup of the group that I was in that somehow I fell into or started hanging out with. And those kids were, were into to drugs, smoking pot, basically, and uh, doing stuff that you know you shouldn't so smoking pot they would drink you know on the weekend sometimes and which is crazy for me to think about that they were like 13 years old I'm like 13 years old <laughs> are you kidding me like, you're a baby yeah but seriously they were we were going to high school parties and that stuff was around and you know my group of friends as a whole they definitely experimented with uh you know marijuana and, and pornography and all those things and so it was not a good environment for me I always knew what I should do and, and what I should be doing, but uh, and held strong for a really long time, um, thinking that I could just be friends and be with them, and I was all fine. But you know, after after a while, there you know you get broken down, especially when you have things going on at home, and your friends are kind of your only escape, and you don't get to see them very often at all. And so definitely there's peer pressure involved with that. And so I fell into uh, so, some bad habits with my friends at that time. Um, nothing serious. It wasn't like I had a drug addiction or anything like that. Or, you know, was this terrible kid going on a, on a craze. But I definitely was headed down a bad path and made some questionable decisions and uh, had some friends that were not good influences on me for sure at the time. So made it easy to, to make wrong choices or be persuaded to do things that I definitely knew I shouldn't be doing at the time. All the while trying to be the older brother and a, and a good, good student and trying to, you know, make it on the basketball team and do everything that everyone else thought I was doing and who I was supposed to be and who I knew I really should be, but dealing with this other stuff because of my friends. So that's kind of where I was at in junior high, which wasn't, wasn't a great place for me to be for sure. <laughs> <laughs> at the time I knew that but yeah that was basically seventh and eighth and part of ninth grade 
and then uh, things started to change after that first the and, first little part of ninth grade. And so did things change when you moved or did they start changing yeah. before that? They had started changing a little bit at the beginning of my ninth grade year. I had some really awesome teachers. My teacher who taught science in seventh grade, Mrs. Potter, she was amazing and was always a good influence. And she was so caring. She seriously cared about me so much. And I know that I felt that. And so she, she definitely, just her being there for me made a big difference and helped me understand kind of where I needed to go. So I started to get better grades. I started focusing a lot more that year and got my, at the midterm of that first semester, got my first report card that was straight A's. And I'd never done that. Never been a bad student, but I'd never gotten straight A's and just felt awesome. That was so amazing. And felt like I was finally like, okay, I kind of know who I'm going to be and wh what I should be doing. And I've got it figured out. I can balance this. And then, uh, you know, my friends were still the same. So there was definitely those influences still there. And I had opportunities to fall back into some of those things and be with that crowd and make some choices that I shouldn't have. But uh, I got pulled away. My family decided that we were going to move to Bountiful and move away from Salt Lake, which to me at the time was the end of my life. So it was terrible. <laughs> but uh, looking at it now, probably probably saved my life and really, really changed where I was going and who I would become. That was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Isn't that funny how life is? Sometimes something happens and you think, really, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Yeah. But how much it is actually can be such a blessing for us. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you were saying that your teacher had such a huge influence on you. And I think, you know, I think of you're such a good person and you <laughs> have done so many amazing things. And I think that there's so many people and kids, especially in the, your adolescence, you're at such a fragile stage of how your life is going to turn out. And everyone can yeah. always change. I believe that everyone can make changes at any point in their life. But I think that there's things that we do that make it harder. And there's consequences sure. of our actions that are irreversible. Mm -hmm. It's good to think of who are the children around us or the youth or people who need our influence. And it, it might be our children, but it might be other kids too that could use a little extra love and support that might not be getting that at home. That influence can really change them. And I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how your friends, when you moved, how they influenced you and, and what that did for your life. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, I had, I had church leaders and youth leaders in Salt Lake that were amazing they were neighbors and they knew me and looking at it now and the way they acted I think they knew a lot more about what was going on in my life than I than I thought they did but they were always super accepting and inclusive and that's what I got when I moved to Bountiful was friends real friends friends who were inclusive um, they were outgoing and they were kind and they were real and they were such good people and it was just so different for me, not that they were bad people, but uh, my friends in Salt Lake, they were good people, but just had bad influences and things going on. You know, some of them struggled with some stuff and at a really young age. Moving to Bountiful, there were friends that had good families and they were really good people. And they 
were great role models that really helped me stay on the path that was going to be the best for me, that would make me the most successful and honestly the most happy. And that made all the difference. Good friends and and people that care make all the difference. So when you're looking at these kids and you don't know, maybe you don't know who they are. And I think that's part of the the thing that I kind of want to convey is we just don't know who they are. But to just be inclusive and not judge the kids and to love more and, and don't assume anything. Don't assume just because you know, I, things didn't think not everything changed when we moved to Bountiful. There was, it was still really hard, and if not harder in a lot of ways, but I had really good friends and a good support system that helped me get through a lot of stuff. But don't assume just because somebody lives in a nice neighborhood in a decent house and goes to church and does the things that they're supposed to do that everything's fine and everything is normal. But to, uh, to include everybody and to love them no matter what and to ask questions and to respect them, I think is the biggest thing. You just never, you just never know. And that made a big difference for me that my friends did that for me and their parents did that for me. And honestly, we're kind of guardian angels. They kind of took me in and uh, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. They were mom. Remember we said it's, it's totally fine to be, right? <laughs> I know it's okay. <laughs> But, I'm not uh, crying, you're crying, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but they were moms for me and uh, really, really made a, a big difference in my life for sure. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am without them. Nate's mom, Susie, Margot Feller, for sure were, were big ones. So helped me a lot. So I had friends' moms, Susan Flieger, Judy Smith, all of these moms that were there for me, Burning Hams. Um, all of the coals, everybody, they, they all took me in and I can count with every one of them an experience through junior high and high school where the mom and or dad uh, stepped up and helped me in a time of need where I didn't have the, the, the help that I needed from my own family. And for people to see a kid like that who they might just think is okay and everything's all right and they're good. But to see past that and still offer that help and that love and to be patient and to be willing to help was amazing and seriously changed me, you know, at at that time and really helped keep me grounded and uh, on the right, on the right path, the right trajectory for sure. So that means everything. Good friends and good role models is everything. And I just think it's important that we don't assume and don't judge. We try to be as inclusive and understanding as possible and to serve, to help where we can. Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. And I couldn't help thinking that while you were saying that, that saving one kid or loving one kid or helping one, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects your life, your marriage, your children, generations. And I think the greatest gift that a parent can give to their child is if they grew up in a dysfunctional home to not repeat that mm-hmm. dysfunction, which, you know, I don't think that's the the easiest path. You have to kind of swim upstream and work harder because it's not your natural instincts. But I think because you were able to spend so much time in 
these homes of loving parents and seeing these, you know, how things work. I think that that ended up helping you to be able to be the person that you are today, which me and Nate, we love you and Jill and you guys are so amazing and some of our best friends and we're just think you're amazing. But I'm so grateful that for all the people that have that, you know, helped kind of change that trajectory for you so that you didn't have to have as much heartache in the end, but that you could be the man that you are today. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And yes, I am so grateful for them as well. Just being there and helping me understand because you're right. It, it, it changes not just one person or one kid, but it's, it can, it can influence generations and multiple kids because of how they act with other people and then how they nurture their own kids. And you're totally right. Totally right. And I am very grateful for that as well. Well, I have one last question for you. And that's my question I ask everybody. And it's, if you could go back in time to any stage of life and give yourself advice, where would you go and what would you say? Oh, man. I feel like there's so many different places I would go. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I need to pop in at a few different places. But probably junior high, high school, that ninth, tenth grade you know, sophomore year of high school or end of ninth grade, that that time was, was kind of kind of hard. And I would just go back and I'd probably just tell myself that to keep my head up and to open my eyes. It's really easy for me to look back now and see how much there was given to me, how much there was there to support me. Uh, but at the time when you're in a, a, a tough place and a dark place, it's hard to see that. But to tell myself to open my eyes and look around because I had guardian angels there the whole time. And I wish that I would have noticed it more because I think it would have made it a little a little easier. And also just tell myself to keep going, to just smile, to love and let yourself be loved. And just don't don't quit. beautiful i love it well thanks so much jet this has been amazing i'm so grateful that you are willing to share these experiences i know it's not always easy to share all the the hard things but i i'm really grateful that we were able to talk about it today me too i'm really grateful that you asked me to be on here i'm happy to to chat and it was it was really good for me too so i'm happy to do it and thank you This is Liz Gardner. Thank you for listening to Letters to My Younger Self. I appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear what you think about this episode.